Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Tonight I want to talk to you on following Jesus. That's a good start, eh? Yeah, you're in the right place for that. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm following Jesus. Really, um, I just want to carry on unpacking a thought that almost happened a little bit like accident. Who was here for Father's Day? Yeah, for some of you who had to endure the the like the cross dads at the end of <laughs> at the end of that, we did a uh, like a Lego firewalk. We bought this box of 1,100 pieces of Lego, and I found one. And there's like 1,100 all different shapes and sizes. We poured it out on the stage. We got them just to turn in circles with their eyes closed and then try and navigate across the stage to their kid. Uh, and, and obviously with no shoes on by the time the second group went because I forgot to get the first group to take their shoes off. Um, but one thing that happened on that was there was this giant box of cardboard that looked like really well presented. You ever been into a kid's store lately and just thought like, man, I don't know what happened in my childhood, but I wish I was a kid today? Like... Holy moly, stuff got awesome, eh? Like, it's so well packaged and presented. It's like, I don't want to miss this. Like, this is like, this looks like a good time. Anyway, the Lego was one of those things. And um, that's for you, bro. And um, it was like, it wasn't until just before the service where I opened the box. And there's like three cardboard boxes inside this one massive box. And I was like, well, this is going to be super annoying. So let's just open those and get it ready to go. And then inside of those had like a plastic bag, mostly full of air. You ever bought a packet of chips lately and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. Where is everything? Like, oh, man, like I feel robbed. Like I feel a little bit ripped off. Like marketing trick 101, right? Turns out that when I opened the Lego, they all fit inside one little box, which fit inside this massive box, like literally a third of this massive box. That was all it was. And it got me thinking, hey, like how many times in life does the world offer us something that on the outside looks really well presented? It looks fulfilling. In fact, it looks like, man, if, if I had that type of lifestyle, come on, if I just had that spouse or that partner, if I had that level of bank account, if I had that type of car or maybe those clothes, or if I had that job, or if only I hadn't done that thing, and I hadn't, I just regret the decision I made here, but if I could go back in time and live this well-presented life, then it would be fulfilling. And it's not really until you start to pursue stuff that you thought might satisfy you. Do you recognize just how empty and fickle that lie is? That the lifestyle that's being offered and presented to you, it might look fulfilling and whole. But inside it's, it's just full of a lot of air. There's, there's a lot of gap. There's a lot missing in that space. And you just feel like, man, the life that, why does it not feel like it looks? Come on, why does my life right now still feel hollow and empty? Why am I still battling the same stuff? And for those of you who have had maybe promotion or breakthrough or persisted long enough to find the partner of your dreams, shout out to my brother. Come on, you understand that you're still the same person. You're still the same one that's on the other side of the box. Maybe you're just representing <laughs> the next stage of your life that you thought would look different because it should be. Because that's what they said it would be, right? Come on, that's what all of the ads 
would lead you to believe that if I have this, then I'll be somebody. I'll find purpose in a life that's hollow. And I'll portray a life of happiness and having it all together on the outside, whereas at home you know you're broken and empty. Come on, how many times have we seen lately famous people who look like they have it all together, who by the world's standards have everything. They've got fame, they've got influence, they've got money, they don't have to fight for these things. The basic necessities of life stopped being an issue a long time ago. But there's some way bigger issues that want to take them out of the game. And at home, that's still the same broken individual looking for purpose and meaning and wholeness. And you'll never find it in anything other than Jesus. And tonight I want to suggest to you that life with Jesus is a little bit more like this. Like the 5 p.m. is a real good time to be talking about chocolate cake, eh? Like, like can we just skip straight to dessert? Oh, right. See, the thing about a cake mix, right? is when you put it in the hands of someone who can connect it with its purpose, it'll never fit inside the box it was created and packaged in. It's an expansive life that we're called to live and follow with Jesus and to enter into. And if I just left the ingredients in the box long enough, how many know over a process of time, sooner or later, they'd go stale and they'd go off? But if I can connect this with the purpose that it was designed for, it'll unlock something that'll allow it to give nourishment and sustain other people. And a chocolate cake box is only going to go so far as an analogy. But I want to suggest to you tonight that a life with Jesus is expansive beyond what you could hope or imagine. And if you can connect with your purpose, you aren't going to fit inside the same container that you look like when you met him. You can't contain the joy, the breakthrough, the hope, the destiny, the favor that pursues you, the goodness and the mercy that follows you as you follow Jesus. If we just remember, it's not about what it looks like on the outside. God chases you. He's after what's on the inside. And following Jesus tonight, I want to, I've titled this message, Living Intentionally. But the play on the words is really living in tension. Ali. Because there's something, if I can just take you to... What happens inside my head, which is a crazy place if you know me. That sometimes following Jesus is hard. And sometimes stuff pulls on you and it's in different directions. And I'm not just talking about the stuff in life that would try and distract you from purpose that we would just kind of get sidetracked by. But sometimes it's the stuff in here. Sometimes it's the stuff in our journey of faith that we're like wrestling with. And we've got to try and come to terms. And if all I do is pursue one extreme, I miss Jesus. Like, I'll give you an example. And before you put the picture up, I just want to preface this. that I wanted to show you, like, my Microsoft PowerPoint 101. I made this wicked presentation. 
but I also made the mistake of not testing it before we got here tonight. So instead of having to endure, and my, for my entertainment purposes, all of the different words coming separately and all like floating around and suddenly appearing, you're just going to get the vomit on the screen in one hit. So apologies in advance, but uh, we'll just put it off to technical difficulties, and I probably won't do that again. Uh, but like, uh, let me give you an example, right? Like the whole Bible's condensed down to one word, which is love. But in, in like the, the truest sense of how we understand it and outwork that in our lives, if all I do as a parent is love my child, right? And I forget about the brother, like the Siamese twin of love, which is truth. How many know there's a time bomb that's just dangerous waiting for that child? In terms of the level of discipline, the level of honesty. But if all I did was spit the truth with no regard to humanity, come on, like, how many know that that's just as dangerous? And that's left a trail of brokenness. And that's where people feel judged and persecuted and feel like, oh man, if you don't do this and you need to do this and you need to do that. But you forget the fact that Jesus like, breaks down the whole gospel into one word. So if all I do, right, is, is chase one extreme, and then as, as any young driver will tell you, as they try and overcorrect, and suddenly you find yourself on the other extreme, you're often at risk of missing Jesus, who's in the middle. Maybe if we could have the screen up. <laughs> I told you, like, you're getting it all at once, right? This is like the epitome of my capacity with Microsoft PowerPoint right now. <laughs> How about this, right? Faith and works. Because it's a battle, right? Like, so the faith part of me just wants to pray for people, and I'm no way knocking prayer. Prayer is powerful. But if all I do is pray, how many know I'm covering the light? I'm sticking the shade over it and saying, come on, God, do something with it. And he's like, no, no, I've called you to be the light of the world. And I've actually positioned you to be able to take the works of my spirit and be my hands and feet and be able to bring blessing, to be able to bring an answer to people, to be able to bring my spirit, to be able to bring healing and bring mercy and bring hope. But if all I did was hang on the side of faith and I completely missed works, I missed the point. And is it faith or is it works? Well, it's yes. It's both. Like we know that Salvation happens from a confession of our mouth and a decision that's in our heart. But the outworking of that salvation and the transformation in my life is done through works. And if all I did was say yes to the box and leave it in the box, come on, how many know the cake's never going to grow? You've got to work that thing. You've got to position it with its purpose to be able to turn it into what it was created for. So is it faith or is it works? The answer is yes. What about this one? Like, like, let's just get honest for a second. Isn't it amazing how so many times we do something wrong? If this is just for me, maybe this is just for me because you're probably not like this. But man, if I stuff up, I plead for mercy. God, forgive me. Man, help them to forgive me. I'm so sorry. I messed up. But if somebody wrongs me, I don't know what it is about my humanity, but I don't want to just get even with you. And if you do something which attacks my family, I want to punish you. Like there's something in the brokenness of who I am. If I'm just like, I'm going to tell you how it is. Like, like 
there's something inside of me that would well with sometimes righteous anger and sometimes just more anger. But like, in my humanity, right, it's all about justice. But if all I hold on to is justice, or if all I hold on to is mercy, come on, that's a time bomb and we're at risk of missing Jesus who's in the center of the tension. Living intentionally means that we're able to operate in a place of tension. I'll give you another one. Vision and gratitude. When you say, well, how are they opposites? Well, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that. See, the thing about vision is if all I do is put my blinkers on and live for tomorrow, like I orientate my whole life around what life is going to be and what God has promised and what I'm believing for, which is good things, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Like it's great to have vision for and hope for the future, absolutely. But if I'm not careful, that will rob me of the gratitude of all the blessings that He's given me today, of where He's working at in my life today. Like if, I, if I'm so focused on tomorrow, I forget about living in today, it'll rob me of my ability to be present, which how many know incapacitates my ability to be effective. And my ability to be able to recognize with my friends and with my family and with my brothers and sisters and when somebody I don't even know is hurting and in need is completely blinded if all I'm focused on is tomorrow. I know I can't stop and I can't help you with that. I've got this thing, there's this thing, there's this thing. I'm too busy. It's interesting when you spell it how I am found in the middle of busyness. <laughs> if I'm not careful, I miss the business. And there's this thing about faith where we're called to be the head, not the tail, right? But then there's this other part where Jesus says, you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least, the servant of all. There's a tension in following Jesus. And sometimes it's about forgiveness. But there's other times where He's called you to operate out of His wisdom. And staying in that same type of relationship with that same level of boundary, that same level of behavior is just not wise. In fact, it's destructive. And if I'm not careful, I hold on one extreme or the other. And here's the picture, right? This is what I mean by missing Jesus in the center of it. If all I do is hold on to one or the other extreme, I'm going to miss where Jesus is. Because his whole life was orientated around loving other people expansively, around living with an open arm. Even his death had an open arm that said, God, I've got my spirit open to you, but come on, forgive the people. They don't know what they're doing. I came here for them and I do it again. He went willingly, willingly. And I just want you to understand tonight as we talk about living intentionally, that it's okay to feel like sometimes life pulls you in different places. And sometimes that's from a place of faith. And sometimes that's from a place of following Jesus. And you're trying to wrestle with this stuff. But the point is this, right? God wants to center you establish you in the middle of the tension and help you live intentionally whilst you're living in tension. That's okay. That's part of living in a broken world. So I want to read for you a few passages tonight. The bottom of this is, is the first one. I'll read you in Matthew 5. From verse 3 through 12, it says, 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's another part of the Bible that talks about how this is the only area we can test Him with, which is our finances. And if we do that, He'll open the storehouses of heaven for us. And there's another part in the Bible that talks about a wise man, a faithful man, a good man, leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren and the future generations. So money's not wrong. In fact, it's a blessing. It's an answer. Or it can be part of providing an answer to people. But it says in here there's something about being poor and recognizing your need. What if he's talking about being poor in spirit? There's a tension. It says, God blesses those who mourn for they'll be comforted. But there's another part that tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that his mercies are new every morning. And the joy comes in the morning. And it's not wrong to have joy, but it's also not wrong to be able to be in a position where you can mourn. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for all this stuff, right? There's a time for joy and a time to mourn. There's a time for peace and a time for war. There's a time for love and a time for hate. There's a time for everything. It's about operating intentionally and understanding that we're in the center of that. It says God blesses those who are humble. They'll inherit the whole earth. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they'll be satisfied. He blesses those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. He blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they'll see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they'll be called the children of God. He blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And listen to this. He blesses people. He blesses you when people mock you, and they persecute you, and they lie about you, and they say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I don't know about you, but that doesn't feel like a blessing to me. Because I'm trapped in this interdimensional time period, right, where I'm in the middle of the storm. And I don't recognize and understand fully what it is that he's trying to do in me and through me and with me and for me. And if I'm not careful, I get bucketed off course by my frustration at the response of, man, if you're getting persecuted for following him, that's okay. If you're getting persecuted for being a Muppet, that's on you. Like, he still loves you. But I have spent time around wise and otherwise people. And the times in my life where I persecuted or I felt challenged or I felt pressured because of following Jesus or for standing up for what was right, for not joining in on the crude joke, for standing in the gap and being able to stick to my conviction where something in me says, that's not right. Don't enter into this. Come on, if you're in that place, God says that's a blessing. I'll maybe just hold for a little bit, but thank you. About another three slides. Awesome. So let me flick you to the next page. I'll punch you quick. That's just, that's like code for hurry up, Nick. Living intentionally. I love this. I love this. I love this. It says we're called to follow him, not just admire him. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. There's nothing wrong with coming to church. In fact, it's one of the greatest decisions that you can make is to regularly be in his presence. That's the place where he can speak to you. That's the place where he can open up and, and release vision. And there's something about standing in a family of believers that just brings encouragement and brings courage. But if all I do is orientate my life, man, God is so good to that person. He's been so good to me. I love what he did to them. Man, thank you, God, for being awesome. You're such a good guy. If my heart position is around admiring him but not following him, I'm missing it. 
I've missed the point. And I've stopped being centered. And I'm just wiring from the grandstands going, keep doing your thing, man. It's awesome to watch. I just, um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, let me cheer for you. Yeah. But he hasn't called us to admire him. He's called us to follow him. And there's something about following him that means that when he walks through the mud, come on, we have to follow him. When he walks up a hill, come on, they only know that's a hard thing sometimes. We got to follow him. Come on, when he lies down in a place that's not always comfortable, we got to follow him. God calls us to follow him and not just admire him. And he doesn't say, do your best to follow me. He says, imitate me as I imitate God. He doesn't say, maybe just get a participation award and do what you feel like and go as far as you're comfortable with. He says, if you're not willing to lay down your life, you'll never find it. If you're not willing to say, actually, take my hopes, take my dreams, take my brokenness, take my addiction, take my attitude, take my unforgiveness, take my arrogance, take my humanity, take my, myself, just take who I am and try and do something with the beautiful mess of who I am. It's not until that point where we say, God, I'm willing for you to take the reins because I know that life following my passion and my pursuit by myself is never going to be as fulfilling as following my purpose, which is only found when I connect it with what I was born to be connected with. Cool, let's flick through to the next one. I want to read for you three passages tonight. Start with the most famous psalm that people always read at a funeral. Can I suggest to you tonight that this is not just for a funeral. Like, this is awesome. In fact, I want to bring you life and encouragement from this psalm tonight, which you would otherwise hear in a dark and difficult place. And there's nothing wrong with that. It brings hope and it brings comfort if you're in a place where you've lost someone and you've heard this before. That's okay. It's a great psalm. Like, it's a powerful psalm. But this message can be summed up in the first verse. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. I wonder what life would look like if we believed that. I wonder what would change for my day and for yours if I confessed that and confessed that. And not just as a prophetic declaration of hope, but an acknowledgement of the fact that I already have all that I need because I have Him. If I have Him, that's all I need. And we see here in this passage, it talks about two things, following the shepherd and a fulfilling life. If I carry on, it says, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams and renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Another version says He guides me along paths of righteousness. Do you know that that's a literal meaning of paths on a hill? But not like green pastures that we understand in New Zealand because like our farming is like lit. But like in the foothills of Judah, there's these worn tracks where the sheep would walk around a hillside and just this narrow little part where nothing would grow because they just walked it and walked it and walked it and walked it. But the shepherd, every time they go around that same hill, would just move them up a little bit every time. Do you ever feel like in life God's trying to teach you the same lesson? He's trying to take you around the same truth. He's trying to get something unlocked in your spirit to be able to understand a perspective. But something happens when you start to learn the lesson the second time around. He just begins to elevate a little bit of your experience. He begins to elevate a little bit of your perspective. He says, if you're going to be able to continue to sustain 
and, and live from a place that's filling and fulfilling. I'm going to elevate your perspective. I'm going to elevate your testimony. I'm going to elevate your experience. I'm going to lift you up. And we're going to walk around this hill until you get to a point where you recognize you can look out and your perspective is totally elevated from where you started. And sometimes life is a tension going, God, I feel like I've been here before. So what? Is He there? That's all you need. He's my shepherd. In Him I have all I need. Come on, would you allow Him to work away the layers of pain, the layers of the promise, the layers of hope, the layers of destiny until you find yourself in a position where you can look down and go, I am not who I was and I'm not where I was. I love this passage. Flick with me to John 10, if you will. In the book of John chapter 10, kicks off in verse 1, and this is the long part. There's a whole 11 verses. Turn it all the way up to 11. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls on his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Do you know his voice? They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explains it to them. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come to me, those who come in through me will be saved. They'll come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Because I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Come on, all who came before me. What's he saying? He's saying there's other people that will try and teach you and distract you and take you out of your purpose and your destiny by saying, come on, if you just follow this, life's fulfilling. There's something about being able to show this to your friends that makes you feel valid. Whose opinion do you seek to be able to say, yeah, yeah, cool, that defines success in my life. I feel confident in who I'm made because I have the shiny box. It's half full of hot air. And following the shepherd, here we see that Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. It leads to abundant life. There's a verse that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life. Like if you want to find life, you just got to find Jesus. That's it. But not like just like life as we know it, but like life to abundance, life to a fullness, life to an overflow, life to an expansive place that'll mean that it'll take you to places that'll never fit in what you look like totally redefine your destiny take you from one substance to a whole nother one let me read for you the last passage Mark chapter 8 Matthew Mark Mark chapter 8 verse 34 to 36 says calling the crowd to join his disciples he said If anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try and hang on to your life, you lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
Is there anything worth more than your soul? If anyone's ashamed of me in the message that I bring in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you want to find your life, you have to be willing to say, God, I choose to lay it down. My hopes, my dreams, my brokenness, this hot mess that I call life to follow you. Let me ask you a question. When I think about following Jesus and the good news, right? It challenges me to orientate my life to a place that flows with good news. Let me unpack that. Like, is my speech good news? The way that I think about other people and myself, the way that I see myself, does that come from a place of good news? Like if, if I can't accept the way that God designed me as a good thing, how am I supposed to love myself? And if I can't love myself, it says love others as you love yourself. So then I'm broken in my ability to love somebody else. And I miss the Great Commission. But is it good news? Like when I walk into a room in a workplace, do I carry good news? Is the attitude of my spirit, is the overflow of my mouth, is the position of my heart full of good news? Because we're called to carry good news. He doesn't say it's sad news. Like if you watch the news, they've taken all the good out of it. And every now and then they try and cheer you up with like a puppy or a kitten or something at the end of the day that gets rescued. But the rest of it is just depressing. Like you want to see what's wrong with the rest of the world and get a broken view on humanity that starts to rob you of the fact that, man, I, I find it hard to love them right now because of look what they're doing. I feel so good about myself because I'm not doing that and I didn't do this. It starts to justify our thug as if my sin is any less than yours. But come on, is the position of your heart good news? Can I ask you a question? Come on, when you audit your life, if the overflow of your mouth is negativity, is brokenness. I heard this just recently and I thought it was really powerful. Anxiety is being so trapped in living for tomorrow, but not from a place of faith and a vision and of hope. You're trapped in a place of tomorrow, out of fear. I'm so concerned for the future. I'm so worried. I'm so freaked out. I'm losing sleep. I'm losing my calmness. I'm losing my ability to come from a place of rest. I'm losing the fact that God would position me in my enemies and give me sleep, give me food, give me rest. In fact, He would lead me to it. I'm missing my ability to sleep in the storm. Anxiety is living completely in tomorrow out of a place of fear. Whereas depression is being so trapped in yesterday out of a place of regret. And if we're not careful, we miss today. And today is the only day you got promised. And in my position in my heart to follow Jesus, when I think about is my life orientating a place of good news? 
Do I sound like good news? Do I smell like good news? Do I make you feel like I carry good news? I want to I land on this one thought. Maybe if we have the last slide. Michael Maiden says this powerful line. He says, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. If you understand how the rest of this book plays out, if you haven't read it yet, let me just skip you to the end. He's one. I just wonder how that would change your prayer life. I just wonder, ask myself the question, how would it change what you're believing for in life? What would it do to my spirit if I could play, pray and exist and walk and operate from a place of victory and not where I'm hoping and believing for it and where I'm like, I'm a key player to God winning this because He can't do it on His own? Mm, he's already done it. But if I can praise and if I can speak, and if I can honor, and if I can love, and if I can serve, and if I can bring truth, and I can bring peace, and I can bring hope, and I can carry all those things intentionally from a place of victory. Come on, what does that look like? I'll give you an example. When it comes to following Jesus, of just how valued and loved you are. Recently, we were walking down the beach in Sumner, a relatively brisk day and my daughter loves anything that's small and fluffy and I don't know if you've been to the beach lately but in the weekend if there's no one else on the beach there's a lot of people who own dogs who go to the beach and she is buzzing like just buzzing every time she sees a puppy and they're everywhere running and just laughing and kicking and my daughter is many things but small is not one of them and so after a while, like, she had to get out of the pram and I've been carrying her down the beach as long as I can. And I was like, I gotta change this up. So I pop her on my shoulders. And she has never done this before. But out of nowhere, she has this moment where she realizes if I wanna get to like what makes something inside her little heart jump and leap and squeal and kick and go crazy. And there's just this moment of realization where she like remembers, all I've gotta do is dive. And so like I'm holding her feet and we're walking and all of a sudden I'm like, Whoop. and I wish I could play it for you because it was terrifyingly exciting. Like for her, she loved it and I was the one being terrified. But there is no sense of self-preservation with a baby. Like none, not a zip. Like she's got no fear when it comes to, if I want to get to what I want, what brings me such joy, like I'm just going to dive with my whole body. And all like, 11, 12 kilos of this 11-month-year-old baby who for much of her youngest life has been off the charts in terms of the percentiles of heavy babies because she's an overachiever. Like the whole lot of her just goes for it. Can I suggest tonight that when Jesus looks at you, something in His Spirit jumps at such a degree that there is no sense of self-preservation for him, there's no fear. There was no sense of, I don't even know if this is worth it. But like just for the chance to get close to you, just for the chance to spend time with you, just for the chance to give you a hug and say, I love you and I made you and I've created you and you have a purpose and a destiny. He was willing to dive out of heaven and lay on a cross and orientate his life so intentionally 
that no matter how hollow and shallow and unfulfilling the stuff that you've held on to, friends, I want to suggest to you that Jesus wants to remind you of what He placed in you. And He's the active ingredient of living an expansive and abundant life. I wonder if you stand. you bring a message for the house, right? When not everybody in the house is in a position in their life right now where they need to say, man, is it time to start to follow Him? How do you bring a message on following Jesus and the tension <laughs> that still brings something that you can take home in your spirit tonight? I love the picture that Pastor Penny shared in pre-meeting this morning where she said her son got out of kids' church last Sunday night and they had hot dogs, which were epic, uh, and learned a new grace, the Superman grace. Does anybody know the Superman grace? And something in him is just like fist up in the air and he's like, thank you, Lord. And he was even more excited when mum and dad both knew this song that he had just learned. Like, he's like, come on, mum and dad, I gotta teach you this awesome new song. What, you know it? This is even better. And swap hands and there's something else there. And I got this picture in the middle of prayer meeting this, 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 this like land in my spirit. Friend, I want to tell you tonight that it doesn't matter what you're carrying and if your position in your prayer life and in your heart, maybe in your spirit, if the position in your life is saying, come on God, I just need you. This is just not working. If there's something inside that's just hanging out for an answer, I want you to understand tonight, something in your spirit tonight is you can position that place you're not just asking for victory. You don't have to ask for victory. He's already won it. Come on, I want to encourage you. Would you pray from a place of victory? Would you lift your eyes and say, actually, I'm not going to just lay down in brokenness. I'm going to stand up in a place of victory that says, come on. I understand that following Jesus sometimes means I'm living intentionally and I'm stuck in the middle of tension. But that's where I find my destiny. That's where I find my purpose. That's where I find the center of His will. And if you're close to Jesus, you're close to victory. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.